So thank you for joining us at this Ash Wednesday service. Now, as you know, this day traditionally marks the beginning of the 40-day season of Lent, when we are called to immerse our lives in reflection and prayer and, and the giving up of some of our most beloved foods or habits. And it's tempting to turn all of Lent into an expanded Ash Wednesday, making the time as one long season of reflection upon the limitations of being human, and a sinful human at that. But there is a difference. Ash Wednesday stands out as a day of penitence, which we'll soon experience collectively as we share the litany of penitence and seek absolution for our sins. And more than any other day in the calendar, today is when we are most conscious of our mortality. Soon we'll be marked with ashes, our foreheads crossed with the black remains of last year's Palm Sunday song, Palms. Reverend Peggy or I will remind each of us that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. Today is a day of great, great humility. When we consider we're nothing more than dust without the benefit of God's life-giving grace. The liturgist Lionel Mitchell puts it even more starkly. He says, quote, today's service reminds us that we stand before God as sinners doomed to die. And it is only through God's merciful gift that we can hope for anything else. And that's pretty dire, you have to admit. And probably more ominous than you considered as you decided to stop by for the obligatory ashes before heading home or heading out to eat something. But this humble reminder is a good way to start our Lenten journey as we try to use the coming weeks to kind of get out of our own way and clear the way for a proper relationship with God. Now today's gospel reading from Matthew, which Peggy just read, offers surprising detail in how we might construct our worship practice during the coming 40 days. You'll note that Jesus takes aim at three core practices of any religion, and especially Christianity. He gives specific instructions on how to be charitable. He tells us secretly, with nobody knowing. How to pray again, in secret, and how to fast. He says, cheer up, put your face on, let nobody know. And all this raises a question, how is anybody supposed to know about us and our beliefs if we're all meant to keep it such a secret? The answer is, he tells us, where he tells us repeatedly, your father who sees in secret will reward you for your charity, for your prayers, for your fast. And the gospel is, as always, kind of counterintuitive, but only insofar as we forget that God is doing the work, not us. He's simply waiting for us to show up in our charity, in our prayers, in our fasts. Jesus' call to secrecy in our worship is a bit ironic for us here today, as it's probably the only time during the year when we actually are called to go into the world with a visible marker of our belief. In fact, we carry it on our very own forehead. Now, you'll likely find maybe unsuspecting coworkers or at this point a well-meaning checkout lady at Kroger's wanting to, wanting to let you know that you have some kind of smudge on your face. And they may even reach for a Kleenex and you know, moisten it a little and reach up and try to wipe it off. And you'll be forced to explain the whole meaning of Ash Wednesday and why that mark is significant and why it's meant to stay. 
So it's not even the first day in the Lent, and already we're called to announce our brand of Christianity to the world. And in so doing, we're disregarding Jesus' repeated calls to kind of lay low, to stay quiet, to keep it secret. Let's hope we can do better in the coming weeks, especially as our urges for caffeine or diet soda or chocolate or Facebook or our glass of wine, all those urges grow stronger. And we will need to remind ourselves every day that we're being told to maintain our fast in silence, that unlike the hypocrites, so we can receive our reward in heaven. Now, I think Jesus calls us into this anonymity in our charity and prayer and fasting to remind us that even these well-intentioned practices, even these practices in the service of our beliefs, can get in the way of having the right relationship with God. I mean, it makes sense if you think about it. Think of people who have these overly dramatic prayer calls or gut-wrenching displays of going without. And they easily seem to be more about the person than they are about God, right? Jesus' call to silence and secrecy is a way to keep us from making even this about ourselves. It's a call to keep it focused in the right direction. Now, it's easy to see these three things of charity and prayer and fasting as separate and distinct components of our religious life, especially during Lent. But today's Old Testament reading from Isaiah offers a glimpse into how these practices might be a little more related. And granted, they're all built on a platform of prayer. But what's the relationship between charity and fasting? To set the stage, the quarrelsome Jews in Isaiah have, have returned from their Babylonian exile. They're back in Judea, side by side with those who never left the Promised Land. And trying to figure out how to navigate this new life without a kingdom, without a temple, yet, it's a little bit later, and under the thumb of Cyrus and the Persians. And Isaiah's front and center, he's called by God to take them to task because they're misusing their fasting periods. They continue to exploit the oppressed or to fight with each other. And worst of all, they aren't even offering the food and drink from their fasting directly to those who are hungry. He accuses them, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice? And later, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? They aren't being asked to give up just for the sake of giving up some kind of stoic going without to build a stronger self, but to give up so they free up even more resources to help those in need. And the reward they get is no less than God's direct reply. We're told the Judeans will call for him to help, and instead of disappearing, which they think he's doing now, he'll be there saying, here I am. Maybe fasting isn't just about giving up, but about adding something on as a result. And that, I think, can speak to us today. Maybe we should consider entering to this Lenten period in the same way, not just focusing on what we'll give up, the wine, the chocolate, the caffeine, the soft drinks, the social media, whatever. But what good can we do in the world with the time and resources that these small sacrifices will free us up to do? Granted, it may not sound like a lot, but imagine how 40 days free from the anxiety of social media might free up enough emotional bandwidth to share a smile with a stranger, 
or even a deep conversation with them. How a Diet Coke or Starbucks free Lent might free up enough money to feed a family or two at our food pantry. How foregoing chocolate might be used to help a homeless family here in Conway. You see, maybe it's not just about giving up during Lent, but adding something on as well. And if you're feeling particularly generous as a result of your Lenten fast, you can help us build some homes for the poor in South and Central America. Let me explain. Several months ago, you may remember, we had Father Tony from the organization Food for the Poor visit us here and tell us about the amazing work that group is doing in the poorest parts of the Western Hemisphere. Permanent houses are being constructed, replacing the flimsy and dangerous impromptu habitats for those most in need. Through a generous anonymous matching grant here at St. Peter's, we will soon launch an initiative to support the building of two houses. You see, for every dollar up to the $3,800 threshold, which is what it costs to build a home, this anonymous grant will match every donation. And we just found out that Food for the Poor let us know they're matching our donations. So two houses becomes four. And this is enough to house several families in a safe, secure, hurricane and weatherproof environment, which they don't have now. Many of us just returned from our Guatemala medical mission this past Sunday, and that's also one of the sites where Food for the Poor operates. And we saw firsthand the incredibly challenging living conditions there. Due to several consecutive years of drought, indigenous farmers have been hard-pressed to raise enough food. It's estimated that nearly 25% of the children in that part of Guatemala are malnourished. And since salty snacks and soft drinks are cheap calories for them, these same kids suffer from obesity. We have malnourishment and obesity at the same time. It's almost unimaginable if we hadn't seen it for ourselves. So the opportunity to help build as many as four homes for those hardest hit by the drought is an incredible chance for us here at St. Peter's. And it's the logical outgrowth of our many years of work in Guatemala with those people we know and love and who wait for us every year to return. There's more to come on our Food for the Poor matching grant program. It's going to launch in a couple of weeks, but what better time than Ash Wednesday to think not just what we'll give up for these coming days in Lent, but what we'll do to help those in the world. Ash Wednesday is a day we ponder our own mortality, our own reliance on God's saving grace given freely, unmerited. It can also be a day we consider our legacy, a legacy of giving that, in the words of Isaiah, can break every yoke and let the oppressed go free. It starts by thinking about what we give up these coming 40 days, and equally important, with what we do during these coming 40 days. Amen.